Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. All right, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here. Good morning to all of you watching, listening online. Good morning to our North site. It was great, by the way, being with you last week. Thanks for letting me hang out with you. Welcome to week number five in our Take Heart series. Today, again, we look back to Hebrews 11, to the great cloud of witnesses, back to the great hall of faith, to be inspired to live faithful life, to begin to imitate those who have gone before us. But also, as I've been saying week in and week out, we are not only being inspired by being told what it looks like to be faithful in our generation, also we are continually being reminded that there is reward that is coming in the new heavens and the new earth. And in between looking back towards faithfulness and forward towards reward, in the middle, because we're in the book of Hebrews, we are reminded that Jesus is alive, he is praying for us, his spirit is in us, and he is empower us, empowering us to actually be faithful. Now today we're going to move from Noah to the story of Abraham, and we're going to be in the book of Genesis. So if you've got your Bible this morning, virtual, physical, you can turn there. If not, it's going to be on the screens. The story of Abraham begins when his name was Abram, and the best summary verse comes from Genesis 12, 1. It says that God came to Abram, and this is what he said. He said, I, God, command you to go forth with closed eyes until having renounced your whole country, you have given yourself wholly unto me. At 75 years old, God introduces Abram to the true living God and calls him. And at 75 years old, this man says, yes, I will follow. I will renounce everything I have known. I will go to a country I've never seen or experienced, and I will worship a God I have never met. Well, 25 plus years later, we now come to, in my opinion, the best known event in Abraham's life. This is going to be the grand test of his faith. And this event, this moment, is actually where faith is going to be true, most deeply felt, can be most threatened, and also become the most life-giving experience if he follows through. Now, we're in chapter 21. Now, if you read chapter 21, so much takes place in this chapter. This is what actually Lori was preaching on a few weeks ago. Isaac is born. All that unbelief and skeptical laughter is actually birthed into beautiful laughter when Isaac is given. Yet also, let's not forget what we've learned as a community. Abraham, by this point, has lost his first child. Remember, he had another son named Ishmael. And by this moment, Ishmael and his mother have been driven away. And there's great pain and terrible family dynamics and blended spiritual realities. And the past mistakes are still rippling into everyday life. It says in the scriptures that Abraham loved Ishmael, but Sarah told him that they must go. And so they went. And now we are sitting in a place where Abraham has lost his first son and will never see him again. Just sit with that for a moment. But then at the same time, Isaac is present. Now, over time, Isaac grew up. The Ishmael situation seems to fade a bit, and there's peace, we read in these scriptures, at home, and there's peace politically in the area where Abraham is living. This has actually become a good season. Out of pain has come joy. And so right at the end of chapter 21, Abraham introduces a new name of God not yet expressed in the scriptures. And this is what he says in 2133, And there he called in the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. 
God the Eternal, God the Enduring One. This, is this, this name of God means this, God who provides stability and security and permanence. And so he worships God in this good season and calls him for who he is, the eternal sovereign God who is giving him stability and permanence. Yet, in the very next chapter, God, this same God, the eternal God, is going to draw close again and act again. Like I've shared, for a moment it seems that the pain of Ishmael has eased over time. It would seem that though we know that time does not heal all wounds, there is some relief. Yet God... The eternal God, the one who is reaving his sovereign grand plan together, is coming close to Abraham, and his presence is about to introduce something not expected, not seen, not wanted, not welcome. This is like when you hit a scab and it is not healed yet. It is about to be ripped off, and all the experience of Ishmael is about to be repeated once again. Now, the other thing we all need to understand, whether you've done church for years or this is your first time, If you read the story of Abraham carefully, every single time God showed up to Abraham, he gave him a promise. Every time that God had come close to this point, there was always a calling or or salvation or covenant or promises of the impossible becoming possible, the promise of kids, the blessing of a nation, the blessing of the whole world, being blessed seven times over. But this time, for the first time, when God draws close, there will be no benefit. No promise, no covenant, nothing. Now Isaac at this moment is somewhere between 10 and 30 years old. And it says in Genesis 22.1, and this is where we're going to be, that sometime later, God, and these words make us shudder, tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now if you read this in the original language, it is really interesting. Because God in this moment is no longer called the eternal God. In this moment, the name for God is no longer the eternal stability-giving, permanence-giving God. No, no, this name for God is Elohim. God the Creator comes close. In other words, the name even shows what's about to take place. God almost even through this name steps back to a more remote, more distant place. Now, He is chosen as the Creator to test His servant. Now, the coming test is not from the devil. This is not being done by a person whose very DNA and essence is twisted in deception and lies and wickedness. No. Nor is this Abraham having a problem in his own heart. This is not confusion. This is God, the creator of all things, choosing in his sovereignty to test Abraham. What's very uncomfortable for most of us, especially in North America, is this. It's going to say in the scriptures that God tested Abraham for God's benefit and for God's glory first and foremost. Oh yes, God tests us for our understanding. He tests us so our faith will be built up. He tests us so we'll see the greater picture. He even tests us to bring hope to others. But never forget, all things are for the glory of God first. Testing also brings out who we are. It brings out value and quality and attributes. It does not allow for external games. It actually moves someone to transformation. It moves someone from faith to faithfulness. It moves us from knowing about God to actually knowing the God we think we know. Tests even strengthen us. So God the Creator comes close to Abraham. And Abraham's instinctual response is amazing. Here I am. God, I'm listening. 
I'm ready. I'm available. I'm not going to hide from you. I'm not going to avoid you. I'm not going to pretend that you're not here. I am here. What would you have me do? See, I already know you. I know that you're good and you're faithful and you've done great things for me and you're sovereign and you're kind and you've called me. So what, Master, would you have me do? What do you want of me? And in that moment of surrender, God is about to say these terrifying words. Since you are ready to obey me, here is what I demand of you. I want you to take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, Isaac. And I want you to go to the region of Mora, and I want you to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will personally show you. Now, I preached this in 2012, and when I studied this the first time, I was struck by this. In Hebrew, this reads like this. When it says, take your son, it actually reads like this. I, God, beg you, Abraham. I, God, plead with you, Abraham. I am asking you to do something staggering, something beyond explanation, something that is not rational. See, God is very aware of the massive ask he is making. Very rarely does God, when he command, also say please, and yet he does here. And in the middle of this conversation, it would seem that Abraham could have declined. Now, I want you to notice the ever-growing tides of description. As God describes now Abraham's only son, your son, oh, your only son, Oh, the son that you love, Isaac. Each word out of God's mouth would move Abraham closer to the one he moves, uh, loves most. Each word dangerously is moving him closer, sort of to the place he does not want to go. It's like this ever-growing river that's about to rage out of control, and he cannot stop it. See, when God called Abraham out of his country, he did the same thing. He said, I want you to leave your country and your people and your father's household, and I want you to go. See, when God comes close, there is no hiding. When God comes close to any one of us sitting here today, any of you watching online, when God comes close, his very personhood asks and demands all that you are. So once again, God asks the impossible of a very aged man. And he says, I want you to go to this region of Mora. Now, what's interesting about this is that most of us, when we read this, miss the power of it. Because this very region and this very hill is where Jerusalem will be built. This actually is the very spot where the temple is about to be built. This today is where the Dome of the Rock is and where the Wailing Wall is, where the Jews continually pray for the Messiah that they have missed. And I want you to miss, don't miss the power of this. This is going to take place on the spot where every sacrifice will be given in the temple. This is going to take place on the very spot where heaven and earth will kiss when God continually comes in the Holy of Holies. And God says to Abraham, with none of that knowledge, go to this place. And he says, and I want you to sacrifice your son. But there's even deeper power a terror and a fear almost in this moment. Because if you actually read this in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it says this, I want you to go and holocaust your son in my name to me. Can you imagine the emotion? God, who is good and eternal, speaks this. Saddened, dumbfounded, shocked, Question, anger, feeling trapped, 
Now, if you read your Old Testament, you know that murder is wrong. You know that murder violates God's own DNA. You know that God says a minimum of four times that it is a demonic thing and wicked thing to sacrifice children to any God. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, 2 Kings, Micah 6, again and again, God says, if you take the life of innocent children in the womb or outside of the room, it is a violation that is so dark and evil, it stems from wickedness itself. And yet the God who will say no four times later now comes the same God and he is the one, remember, who gave Moses the tablets of stone and he says, I want you to kill your son in my name. Talk about being cornered. Talk about there being no way out. Abraham is facing God. The obstacle is God. Now don't forget who Abraham has been. Abraham has walked with God just like Abraham, like Noah walked with God, like Enoch walked with God, even like Abel walked with God, even like Adam walked with God. Abraham knew God as a friend, and not only so so close were they that Abraham argued with God about Sodom and Gomorrah and wrestled and interceded. He wrestled over Ishmael. This is a man of great wealth. This is a man of profound faith. This is a man in covenant relationship with God. This is a man who's been affirmed by multiple miracles. This is the man that God has ordained to bless the earth through his offspring. And yet this man, who is so strong and so powerful and so wealthy and has faced God down in wrestling, can say nothing. No intercession moves the heart of God. Just silence. Can you feel the faith leak out of him? Can you hear the heart-wrenching emotional trap, his want to scream or fight or flight or freeze all at once? I know as a father I'd be saying, you can't do this to me. Anything but this. I've already lost a son, and now you want to take the other one too? You will kill laughter in my life again. But it's not that you're just telling me he's going to die. No, you're making him die at my hand. It's not some random drive-by or some accident or, or cancer. No, no. You want me to look into the son, my son's eyes and take a knife and slit his throat and see the life drain out of his eyes? Anything but this. Don't you know? This will take us back to nothing. We'll have Nothing. This is like childlessness, spiritual famine, human brokenness. This is catastrophe. All your faithful promises would end. All the laughter you've given me would be turned into weeping and wailing. And what about my wife? And you're the one, God. You're the one who started this, not me. You're the one who called me. I wasn't looking for you. You walked into my life. And not only that, this family line you said would bless all the nations. You said I would be built into a great nation and I would bless you and it would be through my offspring. But if you do this, you're killing the only chance we have at doing this supposed promise. And what is God's response? Silence. The bargaining ends, the debate goes nowhere, the prayer and intercessions of a father do not move the rock called God. There's nothing to do but obey the hand of heaven. The clay can never overcome the potter. The Lord gives, we sing so glibly, and the Lord takes away, but it's true. So early, early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey He took with him two servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut the wood for the burnt offering, he set it to the place God had told him about. Notice it's Abraham who splits the wood. He's the one who gets his ancient minivan all packed. 
He calls his two servants. He's doing it. And by the way, he's profoundly rich. He could have had others do this, but he is doing this. Why does he do it? Is he trying to delay? Is he trying to slow it down? Is he maybe just wanting a distraction in the middle of this terrible burden? Or is it the opposite? Is he so unbelievably faithful? This is even worship in itself. Three days pass. Not a word. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a dad in that moment. Probably feeling like vomiting every time you look at your son. Wanting to run or scream or get out. Anything but this. And then in that moment, right, looking up and seeing the place. That hill, that mountain rage, the place of encounter between you and God. But it's a place of death, a place of coming loss. It's like walking in the hospital and you know you're not coming out. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place and he said to his servants, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and we will come back to you. By the way, this is the first time in the Bible the phrase we will worship is used. Now notice the words, we will worship and we will come back. Many people think that Abraham was lying, that he was starting trying to cover up with his servants, didn't want them to really realize that he was about to kill his son. Others think he was just being kind or almost Canadian or polite. But there's more here. He wasn't lying. Abraham knew God enough that he knew that the Lord gives and the Lord takes, but he also knew that the Lord who gives could actually give back again. Even here, Abraham knew that God could do something beyond the impossible, though it was murky. See, that is why later in the New Testament, in the passage we are in, in Hebrews eleven seventeen, it gives us the insight we need. It says, see, by faith, Abraham... When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And he who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So with a mix of fear and panic and pain and faith and question and wondering... Abraham begins the death march with his son. But unlike other marches into war or hospitals or facing down disease, the father is the bringer of death. Abraham took wood from the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac and he carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, Yes, my son, uh, the fire is here and, and the wood is here, but, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Dad, we've done this so many times before. I mean, where's the offering? We've got the tools, you've got the fire, I've got the wood. This is all great, but we always give God a lamb. Where's the lamb? Dad, where's the lamb? Can you imagine the moment? The next words uttered somewhere between confident faith, fear, trepidation, and deep terror. I wonder if God was watching and Abraham thought things like this. This isn't what I signed up for when I decided to follow you. I mean, this journey's been so hard. I mean, I've given up my family. I've given up my dad and my mom. I've given up all the gods I used to worship. I actually gave up my ancestral blessing. I gave up my whole inheritance. I gave up all the land I used to own. I gave up my nation. I mean, I've already lost Ishmael, and now you're asking me to give him up too? I mean, don't you have enough from me? Haven't I given enough? Have I not been so faithful? How much more do you want from me? But notice what he says, not what he thinks. Abraham responded to his son, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. 
So the two of them went together and they reached the place where God had told them about. And Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac, get on the altar. What? Get on the altar, Isaac. Dad? Isaac, get on the altar. No, no, you said that God would provide a lamb. No, get on the altar. Dad, this doesn't make sense. God has told me to do this. Now, don't forget how old Isaac is in this moment. Isaac is somewhere between 10 and 30 years old, and Abraham is way over 100. This, if he's a young kid, he could have ran away. If he's a man, he could have taken out his dad like that. And yet, shockingly in the story, what we see is this unbelievable submission where it doesn't seem that Abraham wrestled his son down, but the son willingly himself went and lays himself on, and it says that the father arranged him on the altar. And what's amazing is another name change has happened with God. When Isaac asked Abraham, he said, God will provide. It's an actual name of God. It's Yahweh Yireh. The God who provides and the God who sees. Well, verse 10 is like that moment in a movie. The slow motion moment with the orchestra playing with your emotions. And it's dark so no one sees you crying. The knife goes up. I'm sure, right? Sweat, tears, closed eyes, panic, hope, doubt, faith. All in that moment. And remember, it would seem in Hebrews, (laughs) Abraham was willing to actually kill his son believing in resurrection. And as the knife raises, it says these words, but, oh, the angel of God, the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, notice his response, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, do nothing to him at all, for now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You are committed wholly unto me. You are given fully unto me. You are more loyal and obedient. You fear me. See, here's the phrase. You don't just love me and what I give you. You trust me. You want me more than you want your son. You want me than you want your wealth. You want me than the benefits I give you. You want me more than life. Now that I know that you know me like this, you will walk with me in a way most never do. See, Abraham has gone to a place where most God followers in Christ even will never want to go, think they must go, or will go. God never intended for Abraham to kill his son. God is not a God of murder. This was a test to see what Abraham would do. It is one of the most heart-wrenching tests that moves you from intellectual knowing to experience, real knowing. It's interesting, right at that moment, verse 13, Abraham looked up. And there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns and he went over and he took the lamb and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering. I love this phrase, instead of his son. God provides a surrogate, a substitute, an alternate, a holy stand-in. He provides, ready, a scapegoat, something else to take his son's place, to give God glory, to, to worship, to keep the covenant intact, to deal with sin and to keep walking. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is still called, if this was Moses writing this, on the mountain, the Lord, it will be provided. The God is the God who provides and the God who sees. 
Now, we have the benefit of having the whole scripture, and many of you who have done church for a while have already started to put this together in your mind, or you've heard this before, but maybe some of you have never put it together. You see the connection, right? I mean, this is happening in Jerusalem, in the very place where the temple will be built, where millions of animals will be sacrificed to deal with the sins. This is happening in the very spot where a high priest would enter in once a year to deal with the sins of Israel. This is where heaven and earth would meet. This very place where Abraham raised the knife is where God's people would meet him. But see, this is the greatest foreshadow of what was to come because God the Father sends Jesus, his only son, his son is loves, to this very place to die. Abraham took wood from the burnt offering and placed it on the back of his son. And Jesus carried the wooden cross in his back. This is what the father did to Jesus. Isaac carried it up the hill. Jesus carried the cross up the same hill. Abraham carried the fire and the knife. God the father always intended for Jesus to die. He carried the fire and the knife. Jesus was bound to a tree. Isaac was bound to the altar. Abraham took three days to get there and said to his servants, and we will return. Jesus said, I will die. I will be raised in three days. And he came back. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all nations would be blessed. And through Isaac and later, Jesus comes and all nations were blessed. God steps in and provides a substitute. See, Jesus is Isaac and Jesus is the ram because Jesus is the fulfillment of this whole story. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and has sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans 3.25, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear the world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God the Father decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear within himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. Abraham had no clue that the test was not just for him, but the test was setting up the world to be redeemed through Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And through Jesus, even look around this church today, the nations now are being reunited in Jesus, preparing for the new heavens and the new earth. But this series is not just a celebration of the gospel that we know or you are being presented with. This series is called Take Heart. How do we continue to have bold, faithful courage in our generation, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my family, in my life, in Canada in this moment? How do I walk faithful like they did? What do I learn from Abraham's life that I can start doing this afternoon and on Monday? Well, I want to point out something very obvious and yet extremely rare. Every time God gets close, there's only one thing that Abraham says to God. Here I am. This is how he responds in the darkest times, in the greatest times, in the most beautiful times, in the, in the scariest times. He always says, here I am. See, when God gets close... We as human beings are exposed for what we are. And though many of us know God in this place and genuinely love God, and I've said this so many times before, many of us do not trust him. 
Fear drives us away from being faithful before God or being honest before God or being bold for God or being humble or being free. Or, or we begin to hate. We, become to, we, begun, we begin to become what we hate in others. Fearful. And we hide. But Abraham, every single time God comes close, he says this, here I am. I'm listening. I'm ready. I'm not going to hide from you. I'm not going to avoid you. I'm here. What would you have me do? I know in the end you are good. I know in the end you are faithful. I know you've done great things for me. So what would you have me do, Master? Here I am. Now here's what we got to catch. How in the world did a man like this get to the place where he was ready to slay his son for God and risk it all? Because it's not just a mere intellectual exercise. How in the... Here's why. Because he actually believed in new God in his entirety. If you do not believe that God is the enduring, eternal God of chapter 21, who provides stability and sovereignty, and you do not acknowledge in chapter 22 that God is creator and can demand anything, for he truly is creator... And if you do not believe also at the same time that God of the God of chapter 22 is the God who sees you personally and will provide for you personally and will come close to you personally, you will never ever say to God, here I am. But if you truly know that he is the sovereign God, the creator God, and he's the God who loves you and sees you, if that is truly the God you've encountered through Jesus, then you will be able to say, even with fear and trepidation, God, at any moment, here I am. I am about your kingdom, not about my kingdom. You can actually declare Romans 8, 28, truly. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. And that can be done in this life and the next life. If you know the God of scripture, then you will say yes to him. If you do not know the entirety of God of scripture, you will never say here I am because you will not trust him. You say, well, John, what's the takeaway? Here it is. When is the last time? And I mean this sincerely. When is the last time you personally went before God and said, here I am. Here I am. I am at your disposal. And if you say it's been a long time, let me ask you a probing question. Why? I guarantee you it's about a trust issue. Now, some of you have said it. And by the way, thank you. Thank you. Because the more Christians go, and remember, Don't we have a better access than Abraham? Don't we know Jesus? Don't we know who God is more than Abraham ever knew? So if that's every time just people in a local church continually say to God, here I am, here I am, every day, here I am, don't you know this is when God shows up greater? Because there is no lack of faith. Unbelief crumbles and dies. And faith grows when people begin not just to love God, but trust him with everything that they are. The real power of the story is actually not the emotion of the potential sacrifice. The real question of the story beyond the fulfillment of Jesus is what do you want or actually who do you want? Abraham loved God. Can you hear this please? But every single time that God had come close up to this point, Abraham got something. Land, son, heritage, future, encounter, salvation. But this time when God showed up, nothing. The only thing that Abraham would have had left in that moment 
if he had actually plunged the knife into his son, would have been God. And see, that's where the story comes to a head. This test moved to Abraham to see that though all the things he had from God are good and lovely and to be enjoyed, the ultimate want for a follower of our God is him. That faith will not be driven any longer by what he gets from God or what part of the plan he fits into, but actually he wants God more than anything else. See, the ultimate act of faithfulness is to want God, to love God, to walk with him, to know him, to walk with him in the coolness of the day, to find purpose in his presence, not what you get from him or what you get from others. See, this is the most sacred, holy place most Christians will choose not to go before they die. And yet this is what is going to be for eternity. Back to the very first verse. The very first day that Abram was called by God. What did God say? I, God, command you, Abram, to go forth with closed eyes until having renounced your whole country, you have given yourself wholly unto me. The question that all pastors who preach this text have to ask is this. What Isaac would you need to give up so you could give yourself wholly unto the God you know, you love, who has saved you, who you sang to this morning, that you just gave to, that you brag about, that you hope in and you want? Now, I want to remind everyone so it doesn't feel like a weird, emotional, guilt-trippy moment. God didn't take Isaac. Right? He didn't take him. But the question being asked is, is there anything in your life, even good things given of God, that you would have to not just say, here I am, but I am willing? So let me just read a list. And Holy Spirit, I ask you in this moment, online, up north, here, to speak. I mean, is it your family? How interesting. What a, what a passage to preach on Mother's Day. Hmm. Is it your family? Is it your kids? Maybe it's your spouse, or actually maybe it's your want of a spouse you do not have. Or sexual wants, or hopes, or desires, or beliefs, money, dreams, influence, job. You know, our culture is getting pretty difficult. Not just for Christians, it's, it's a difficult run. And more and more of us are trying to escape into dreamland. We We're spending more time in video games or online building avatars of what we wish we could be. I just want to ask you, you know, like, are you spending your life escaping and avoiding God? Do you have to give up your escapism? Maybe it's rights. The devil will always tell you, and so will others, you have a right to be bitter. You have a right to express yourself sexually any way you want. The the, the world tells you you can hold any belief you want. And if the Bible says it's wrong, then the Bible needs to change because you have the final say. Maybe it's a right to a relationship, a right to keep on sitting in an area, a right not to forgive that person because they hurt you too much. You have a right to lie, a right not to approach God, a right not to trust him, a right not to be faithful. You fill in the blank. Here's the point. Abraham knew God. Every time God came, whether enduring, creator, or seeing and provider, he said, here I am. And when God asked him to give up a thing, a person, a specific 
Abraham obeyed. So this is not a call, by the way, to say we're all terrible. No, no, just here's what I'm asking. This is what you got to talk about in your connect groups. This is what you got to do. First of all, when's the last time you said to God, here I am? And then if you don't want this just to be a sermon that you don't really remember and we do church and you hit Swiss LA and you move on to regular, okay, then can I suggest this? Because we do want to walk with God and take heart. Go before God who you love and sometimes trust and say to him, is there any Isaac in my life that you demand of me? Because in that moment, faithfulness will shine. In that moment, you will move from knowing to knowing. In that moment, you also know because of the story, and here's where I end, that God takes the greatest risks that we give him and produces salvation and hope for so many more. So let us pray these words as we prepare. Lord God of heaven and earth, creator God, enduring God, God who sees and provides, just in this moment, come close among us because we are praying for revival as a church. We're praying for encounter. We're praying for an authentic faith. And yet, God, here's the truth. Many of us love you so much in this church. Oh, but we struggle trusting you. So all I can ask, I cannot demand it, I ask, Father, would you lead this church to say, here I am? Would you lead others to encounter Jesus, the fulfillment of the scripture? But also, and we're praying this because we want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Is there any Isaac you demand of us? Good things, great things, or sinful things. Help us to have the courage to say yes to you and trust you. Lord, begin to speak in this moment, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. What an appropriate message, though, to end with communion. Because, like we said, that Isaac... And the ram was the foreshadow of Jesus. Would you stand with me? And this, of course, we know communion is the great symbol of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We know that communion is the place we come and we confess sin. It's where we remember our forgiveness. It's where we feed and our soul is strengthened. It is that we are reminded that one day we will be with God in heaven at the wedding feast. And we'll never take this again because we'll see Jesus face to face. This is a declaration that Jesus has overcome sin, death, and the demonic. And this is a declaration of hope. And so as I pray for the communion, would you just do this? Would you, when you take communion, if you are a Christian today, just say thank you for being my substitute? Because that's the heart of this, that you're the ram caught in the thicket for me. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would encounter us as we take communion today, that you would lead us in this sweet moment but also, Lord, continue to sort out the questions you're asking us. In Jesus' name, amen. For some of you, you're welcome to the table because you're Christians. For others of you who are not Christians yet, we'd ask you not to take communion because you've not embraced the one that it represents, but you always can meet him there. And the scriptures are clear. If you are a Christian and you're struggling or well, you're welcome. But if you are rebelling and you refer, refuse to submit to Jesus, don't take it until you work it out. The scriptures also say, are you not good with someone else? 
If you can, at least begin the process of reconciliation even in your own heart or with them, do that. Lord Jesus, come and now meet us as we respond. Communion will be passed today. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.